Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You found the Playmakers on CBS Sports Radio 1140. Paul Wyhander, Lindsey Brown on this Monday afternoon. Thanks for hanging out with us today, making us a part of your ride home. There is a brand new book out if you are into sports reading. And you know we've all had a lot of extra time on our hands to uh, soak up the classics. This could all be a, the classics. Right, this could be a classic when it comes to, uh, to sports writing. It is kind of the inner workings of an Olympic hockey team. As a matter of fact, Team Canada, uh, who... Did a lot of domination when it came to women's hockey at the Olympics. Uh, this will take you behind the scenes quite a bit in a very interesting way because it comes from firsthand experience. It's our next guest. And for some reason, I like to surround myself with goalies. Uh, this, our next guest is the author behind the book, The Role I Played, Canada's Greatest Olympic Hockey Team. She's also a former GM and a Stanford University graduate as well. We welcome to the program Sammy Joe Small. Sammy, thanks for coming on. Thanks so much for having me, Paul and Lindsay. I really appreciate it. We're so excited to have you on today, Sammy. And and just first and foremost, I, I want to say how much I love how your book is constructed, the length, the, the stories, how they dart back and forth. It kind of feels like you're taking shots in practice. And as a fellow netminder, uh, I, it just spoke to me at, at so many different levels. But before I start asking you know, all these other different questions, was the way that you written it, the formatting, was that the way, is that the way you intended it to feel, to read? Initially, no. Uh, to be honest, that's really kind of you to say that, and that's what I wanted in the end for it to feel like. I wanted it to feel like the reader was right there with me. Um, I mean, you're a goaltender, so I feel like you have a different affinity for the book than most would. But for non-goalies um, and maybe even non-hockey fans um, or non-hockey players, I wanted them to feel what it was like to be on the ice with us and to be going through sort of the ups and downs of uh, being an Olympian. But initially, when I first started writing it, I work as a professional speaker, and I speak from the stage, and most professional speakers talking to corporate audiences have a book at the back of the room that they just kind of sell at the end. And that's what I initially planned for. You know, you'd spend 20 bucks after a gig and you sign the book and there you go. But when I first started writing it, it was about 10 years ago. And I realized that I actually wasn't really a great writer and the first manuscript was not very good. So I went back and I took some courses on how to write. I'm an engineer by trade, so it didn't necessarily come naturally. But I really tried to work at the craft, and um, that's what really took me 10 years was that I wanted it to be 
um, not only factual and teach people about um, women's hockey and women's sport in general, and um, but I, I wanted it to be entertaining because from the stage, that's what you want, is you want some entertainment mixed in with some messaging, and that's kind of what I wanted for this book in the end. So I'm glad, I'm really happy to hear you say that you felt that um, throughout the book. And Sammy, as we've been able to go through the book and, and get a chance to go through it, it is told from that first-person perspective. And when you put this together, you say you weren't a good writer and you went, you know, it practiced the art a little bit. And as you put it together, did you feel like, and this is at least what I got too, besides some of the stories and some of the, you know, behind the scenes taking us inside the locker rooms and the practices and just your travels and whatnot, did it feel a little therapeutic for you just knowing the, the, the trajectory that your career had taken from amateur hockey to Olympic hockey and into professional hockey? For sure. You know, I think that you're so uh, bang on by saying that um, it was therapeutic. I, I say that it was cathartic for me because there was, I think as athletes, we get so wrapped up in, in the moment. We get so wrapped up in, in achieving and in, in success. We often don't have a chance to really stop and appreciate our surroundings and appreciate the people that are around us. And so as a goaltender, um, obviously you don't always get to play. It's like being a quarterback in football. You're, you're, you basically, you want to always be playing, but you're not always the one that is tagged to do so. So often within the book, I'm sitting on the bench or I'm cheering. And it's really in those moments that um, I feel everything that a normal person would feel. You feel envy and jealousy for the goalie that's playing. You feel um, that you don't necessarily want your team to possibly go on without you, but they do. And so you really have to kind of come to, to terms with how to support, how to be um, a cheerleader, for lack of a better term, um, and how to be there for your teammates. And that wasn't always easy for me. Um, but in writing it, you know, and I really never stopped to think about that role, but in writing this book, I, I realized that that role is really important and that that role, I, it could have gone the other way. I could have been negative and brought my team down. Um, but while my role was small in the end, in certain moments, um, it was still a value. And that's what I really want to get across to the reader is that, we all go through these moments, whether it's in, in a sport or in our uh, workplace environment or in a family. Um, we're all put into positions that we don't necessarily want to be in, but it's really important how we play our role in those moments. And um, in the end, too, it's about being proud of how you played your role. And I think this book really helped me with that. It helped me um, to really gain perspective on what was important and um, that it wasn't necessarily the games played or the games won. It really was the people. And that's, that's what I wanted to showcase in this book is the amazing, strong, resilient women that have gone through so much just to be able to play this great game of hockey. And um, I wanted to showcase their stories as well alongside mine. And um, I was uh, feel incredibly privileged and lucky to be able to do so. And you talk about staying present in the moment. And as a goaltender, that is your life and your death, or at least the difference between the two, because, you know, you're in the net or in the crease completely by yourself. And especially if that puck is in the other end, you're at the mercy of your own attention span. So I wanted to ask you, because it's different for each and every one of us, what did you do to stay present and, and focused in the moment on the ice? Because it is so easy to kind of get distracted or be thinking about something that you shouldn't be. And all of a sudden, you're, it's a two-on-one and you're even a half a second late. You know, that's just not going to be fun against Team USA. So, so how did you stay engaged in the, in, at the level that you needed to to play your best game? Well, I think you're so right. Every goalie's a little bit different. I'm not sure what uh, kind of goaltender you are. But for me, um, 
the games that were exciting and the games that I had a ton of shots, they were easy to stay in. I think most goalies can attest to that. That 100%. you know, you have a forty yeah, if you have a forty or fifty shot game and you're in it no matter what. You're you know, and that's really where you, you rise to the occasion. But the games that I always found tough were the ones that you get maybe twenty shots. And so that wasn't against Team USA. Often we got lots of shots against them. But when we were playing, for instance, Sweden or Finland, and they're tight games, and what you do matters. What you do on every shot matters. If you let a goal or two in, you might lose the game. Um, that's not the case in a Team USA game where you're, you know, there's constantly action going on around you. So I, um, you know, I think early on in my career, I struggled with that uh, up until my Stanford playing career. So I played uh, ACHA men's hockey uh, with Stanford, and um, we didn't have a great team. And in minor hockey, I didn't really play on great teams necessarily, so I got lots of shots. And it wasn't until I joined the national team that I suddenly found myself alone in my net that, you know, we would play teams that uh, they might get 10, 15, 20 shots a game. And I did find it really hard to stay focused, especially for three 20-minute periods with the intermissions. And it just was so much longer than anything I was used to. So what I try to do is that I don't have, um, you know, I can stay focused for bits of time, but I don't have the ability to stay focused for three hours. That's a long, long time. So I would really try to separate myself from the play when it was in the other end and just see it as a fan. Um, between whistles, I would try to look up in the crowd to see what signs were up in the uh, crowd and um, maybe get a little chuckle from some of the signs that were directed at our team um, and try to take my mind away from it. Some goalies are very um, uh, very driven and very focused and they don't want anybody to talk to them during the game. I'm not that way. I would rather be engaged with my teammates and um, be the one that's um, you know, laughing and joking in the corner versus the super serious one. But uh, you're right. Every goalie is different. And that's what's so unique about the position is that I think it can take all sorts of different types of people. Um, and you just have to know your goalie to know whether you can say something or not say something. But I was always the kind of person that um, liked to kind of separate myself from the play. When the play was going on, I was, I was right in it. But as soon as I made that save, I liked to pick it up, give it to the referee, maybe have a little conversation with the ref and um, go from there. So it was, uh, I think we're all different and um, maybe that's why we're all goalies. Exactly, Sammy Joe. I, I was one of those that talked constantly, even if the puck was in the other end. I was just kind of talking through my teammates what I needed to do, and that's just how I stayed in it. Because, like you, it's it's hard for me to stay focused for three hours, let alone three minutes. But hopefully, because sure. there's, I think it's hard for everyone. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. But there, there's one thing I could focus for three hours on is it's on your book because there's just the way that it's constructed. Each memory, you know, I would just love to unpack with you. But I want to talk to you about your specifically your first uh, experience with the national team because. Your, your career took place at such an interesting context of, of the international women's game and, and just women's sports in general, especially at that level of play. Um, but when, you're, when, you, when you get called up and you get called back after getting cut the first time and, and you talk about managing that transition between just being happy to be there and, and, and the, the, the guilt that you felt after Nagano and, and not getting a medal. And so I wanted to ask you about that specific experience and just your kind of realization process of of not being so happy to be someplace anymore and taking that next step and dominating and and i'm not saying that you didn't earn the medal the first time around but having that confidence for yourself to step forward and be like you know what i'm gonna do even more this next time around so i feel like i i deserve to ask for that inclusion going forward 
Yeah, great question. I mean, I think the first Olympics in Nagano, um, we were all in kind of the same boat. Most of the women that played uh, throughout um, on all the teams um, had a very unique way of getting to their national, respective national teams. And that could be, you know, for the odd few, might have grown up playing women's hockey, but that was pretty rare. Uh, most were unique within their communities, within their towns, uh, were the only girl playing, uh, might have had an older brother, might have had a dad, um, but very few would have seen um, women's hockey at the highest level or been exposed to role models or mentors. So most of us came to that very first Olympics um, just I think as a whole happy to be there and that's not to say that we didn't uh, train hard and we didn't uh, push ourselves but we didn't necessarily know how to train at the elite level until joining uh, the national team so there wasn't a setup like there is now across North America where there's scouts across uh, both countries that are looking for the young girls playing there's opportunities for them to play at both the state and provincial level and then at the national team level um, college hockey is huge and there just is a progression through of course we did not have any of that so it's kind of trying to pick people out of the woodwork to find those players that were playing and in fact my first time that I played on a women's hockey team full-time was the Olympic team. That was the first time that I really saw these women at this level. So um, I think walking into the opening ceremonies at the Olympic Games, um, so many memories uh, came to me of watching the Olympics, but I never dreamt about that moment in hockey. I never dreamt about it because it didn't exist. We didn't have a national team for women's hockey. Um, There wasn't the Olympics. And so I think for that unique, uh, that team was very unique because we had a bunch of rookies like myself that were new to this experience. And then we had girls that had fought their entire lives for inclusion into the Olympic Games. So we had some incredible role models and mentors that taught us what it meant to be a strong female athlete. And on both sides of the border, I think we were exposed to some incredible people that then lent itself to the future of the game. And um, when I when I rejoined the national team and I went to the Olympics over in Nagano, I felt like I you know played the role that I was given as a third string goalie to be there for my teammates and trained alongside them. And I didn't realize that third string goalies uh, in women's hockey at the Olympics do not get a medal for their efforts, despite the fact that in men's hockey they do. So it really wasn't until the medals were awarded that I realized that I wasn't going to get one. And I think that that's what was so shocking to me was um, there was no outlet for that that pain or that hurt. I mean, my team had got the silver medal, so everybody was hurting and in pain. Um, and I felt so selfish for thinking of that at that moment that, you know, that didn't matter. Um, but not only did I want to uh, fight to be able to be the starting goaltender on the national team, but I also wanted to fight to have women's hockey um, accepted on the world stage the same way that men's hockey was. So I wanted the rosters to be equal. I wanted, um, you know, third string goalies in the future to not have to go through what I went through. Now they did, and it was me again um, uh, eight years later in Torino. However, at the Vancouver Olympics um, on our home soil, for the first time ever, uh, women's hockey had three goalies that received medals on the ice and just like in men's hockey. So 
uh, not only did I feel like I had pushed for um, the ability for me to play and uh, trained even harder to get on the national team because we knew more, we knew better, uh, but also fought for the right for others behind me to have more. And I think that that's, that was taught to us by those women that played with us in Nagano that it is not just simply about playing. It is about building the game and giving as much as you can back to the game so that those coming behind you have more and have more opportunities. And um, so that was just a, a mentality, I think, that was instilled in us. And that's why I feel so fortunate to have played in that era is we had these women that were really pushing that on each of us. Sammy Joe Small is our guest. The book is The Role I Played, Canada's Greatest Olympic Hockey Team. You can uh, buy it through Amazon. Uh, plenty of copies there, as well as an e-version as well for your Kindle. And uh, she finds herself among uh, the top uh, top charts when it comes to uh, hockey biographies, hockey and the Olympic Games right now uh, when it comes to sales. So congratulations to you there. Lindsay's got a, a million more questions for you, Sammy Joe. We're going to run out of time, though, but she's, she's digging deep here trying to figure out what she wants to ask you. Yeah. I'm going to put you in a heads-up situation because we're in a breakaway opportunity. And so you're looking at the skater. They're coming at you. Which foot do you gap out with? And uh, which save do you want to make? And which save do they usually make you make in that breakaway opportunity against yourself? Interesting. I love this. I've been talking about the book for about a month now, and nobody has asked me, like, specific goalie drills like this, like specific scenarios. So um, I love it. I like to uh, stop at the top of my crease. Well, I would say maybe a foot outside my crease with my right leg and then square up fairly early. Um, I find that I am actually a quicker uh, goaltender laterally, so I like to back up quicker um, and or back up not as quick and allow them to shoot. Um, so that if, I, if they do shoot, I'm far enough out that I can have a good angle on it. And then if they do go around me, I feel like I'm quick enough to be able to get back with my legs to either post. Um, I would say that the majority of goals that I let in on breakaways, and I can say this now because um, I don't play in net very much, would have been five-hole because I um, spread my legs so far apart that I kind of gave that up. Um, but... Yeah, it's interesting because throughout my career, we never had uh, shootouts until I want to say the 99 Three Nations Cup was the first time internationally that we were put into a shootout situation. But minor hockey, we had ties. And then in college, we had overtime and you just played. So right. it, uh, I never really grew up practicing it as much. Whereas Chalene Labonte, who is a little bit younger than Kim St. Pierre and I, um, she came into the national team and was just so strong at them. So I picked her brain a lot as to, you know, what was she thinking? She liked to give about a foot between um, the player and the, her stick at all times. Mm. So wherever she was kind of guiding them with that. Uh, so I got some good tips from uh, people that had done it before me. And I, I tried to not prejudge who the shooter was because then I was pooched. Then if if they ever got sort of inside my head or if I tried to guess too early, that's when uh, people like uh, Christy Wendell or... Oh, yeah. I've been scored on by her a few times. Oh, Oh, no fun. (laughs) They could, uh, you know, and 
people like them, sometimes I would stop them because they would do a triple deke and I was still on the first deke. So I was still on the right side of the net. Especially Chrissy, too. She'll make you pay five holes. She'll she'll do a little shoulder shake on you and make you look real silly really quick. But I I was the same way. I wanted the deeks. I wanted to show off the long legs. But you you at least were like, just shoot it. I want to stop it straight up like a natural goalie. I was like, please make me, let me show off my athleticism first. But uh, appreciate it. going for the big save, Exactly, exactly. It's all about the flair, Sammy. But I appreciate you taking the time to speak with us today and all that you've done uh, for for the women's side of the game and for goaltending specifically. Uh, You know, I looked up to you and and so many women that were involved with that first inaugural, you know, Olympic teams and and just all that you've done. Cannot thank you uh, enough on behalf of me and every other girl who strapped on a pair of pads and fell in love with the game, too. Well, Paul, it's been great. And Lindsay, this has been amazing to not only be able to talk to such a women's hockey fan and a player like yourself, but a goaltender. Um, These have been incredibly uh, just such great questions. So I really appreciate it. And um, continue to do what you do, pushing for the game. I I just uh, have admired from afar. And so, um, yeah, it's been pretty amazing to see uh, your success and um, good luck with everything in the future. Thanks, Sammy. Let's do it again soon, but long form on the podcast. All right, sounds good. I'm ready. Sammy Jo Small is the author of The Role I Played, uh, the brand-new book that she just wrote about the her time with the Canadian National Women's Hockey Team, a three-time Olympic medalist, and uh, great to have her part of the program. And, again, you can find that book, Amazon.com, available via hardcover as well as for your Kindle. Coming up next, the Raiders. Is it luck or is it skill that puts them at 5-3? and three? This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates – Price and coverage match limited by state law. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile Essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.